Let's segue into a time of preaching now. Oh, we, we probably all should just take a deep breath. Ready? One, two, three. We got through last week, and I, I still say it was a hard passage. You guys were very gracious as a church, um, and, and I was grateful that you were gracious with me trying to explain hard things, uh, but we got through one of the hardest passages in Scripture uh, that talked about certain roles, and today is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. So we go from the hardest to probably my favorite, and it just happens to be my first official passage that I ever preached on a stage. This was the uh, time when I was a teen and I got asked to speak at the teen night at church. You know, us Baptists back in the day, we had evening church too. And uh, every once in a while, once a year, we'd let the teens take over that service. And I got the call to preach. I was probably 15. And I preached uh, this message in Ephesians 6. You should know what we're talking about, the armor of God. So let's pray this morning. Would you pray with me? I'd ask that you'd pray this prayer. You don't have to say anything out loud. But if you just say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, my prayer is that you would be glorified, and that everyone hearing this would be edified, and that Satan would be horrified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we buzz through these books, it seems like fast. Uh, you might think it's taken forever, but uh, we are finally at the end of Ephesians. Don't let me forget to do the last couple of verses, because I'll preach the armor of God and forget the closing verses. I don't want to forget those closing verses. I promise you we read the whole book when we preach through the whole book, and so we're going to finish by reading every word uh, at the last of Ephesians today. The idea today is the armor of God. And I put in there a defensive struggle. I want to let you know that there's different ways people look at the armor of God, and some people have an offensive look. They think that we ought to be on the offense. We ought to be fighting, attacking. Let's go. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. I'm not in that camp, friends. And some of you don't like me because of that. I just, I just don't think Christians fighting and attacking is a good look on us. I think we're a community of grace. I think we're supposed to be a community of love. And my mama taught me, you draw more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. And, and I think the church for years has been spitting vinegar at the world. Can I remind you, and this is my opinion, I'm just saying what I think, it's not them against us. I know we think that we're in a war against lost people, but lost people act the way they do because they're lost They need Jesus. So again, let's answer the question, what's the best way to get people to Jesus? Attack, fight. Those words don't sound right, do they now? When you put it in the context of of life, I think we ought to be more on a defensive struggle and listen to what the words of Paul were when he tells us to stand. I want to remind you as we work through Ephesians, uh, we, we first learn to sit. Everybody say sit. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, we were able to just sit in the peace and confidence that Jesus has done it all on our behalf. We can sit and relax. Jesus ascended to heaven and he sat at the right hand of the throne of God, signaling that it was done. We, as believers, know that it is done in Jesus. We can sit. Amen? And then we learned that we need to walk. Everybody say walk. So when we're living life, you got to get up and we got to walk. And how do you walk? How's your walk going? 
what does our walk look like in the, a dark world? Remember the contrast in Ephesians is dark to light, death to life. Big contrasts. So how are we walking? Are we walking by the Spirit? Are we walking in a way that the world would see us and recognize that we're different? The Bible says always be prepared to give an answer for someone who asks you for the hope you have. Why would they ask you if they don't see anything different? We ought to be people that are walking differently than the world and people would want to know what's up with you in a good way, (laughs) not a bad way. Sit, walk, stand. Everybody say stand. In this last passage of Ephesians, I think Paul is telling us now the time is to stand, stand firm, stand strong, stand your ground. None of that means to go on the offensive with weaponry to attack. The two different ways people interpret this passage is all of the armor we have are for you to go out and get some bloodiness. Let's go. Let's go. I'm armored up. I'm going to take people down. No, I'm going to tell you today that I believe the armor is all defensive. Yes, even that sword of the spirit, a defensive weapon. So that's what we'll talk about today. So before we get to the facts, let's read it. Turn to Ephesians 6 verse 10 and we'll read the entire rest of the passage. Finally, which cracks me up because Paul's a good pastor. And when you hear a pastor say, finally, you know, you got about, you know, half hour left, right? So finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish, extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keeping, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Titius. The dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am, how I am and what I am doing. I am sending you to him for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And there you have it. We have read the entire book of Ephesians together. We've talked it through verse by verse. Let's wrap it up by saying what are the facts that we see in Ephesians chapter 6? The facts. Spiritual war is being waged against God. Believer, eyeballs here. There is a war going on. 
And we need to wake up to that fact. We need to understand that there is a spiritual war going on. Also, every believer is in this spiritual battle. There's a war going on and you're involved in the battle. You're under attack is one of the key facts that we need to point out. Because of this, awareness and preparation is vital. When I see what Paul is trying to say here, I don't say he's, he's trying to rally the troops to go out and fight the world and attack the world. Matter of fact, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. They're not our enemies. We have to remember that. Lost people are pre-Christians. We need to get them cross the line, right? So they're not against, we're not against them. Our struggle is a spiritual battle and we need to be prepared for that spiritual battle. So we need to be aware and prepared. The problem is Christians go one of two ways on this whole spiritual warfare thing. Some people go crazy in and they're battling Satan every day. They're fighting him every day. I would encourage you to watch out for that. I would be careful about how much you dive in on the spiritual warfare thing. You against Satan. We're in a battle, but I believe it's a defensive battle. And therefore God gave us some armor and he gave us armor not to fight and go pick a fight or go to attack, but to stand firm. He said it four times. That's what I love about Paul. It's like, did he mean stand? Oh, he said it again. Did he really mean stand? Oh, he said it again. Did he mean stand? Yeah, he said it again. He says, take your stand. And after all, stand. What do you do then? Stand. <laughs> stand firm, believer. So do you know you're in a battle? That's the other side of the coin of the Christians, how we might misuse this passage. One goes too far and is trying to pick a fight with Satan. The other one doesn't even know we're in a battle. We're just living life oblivious. Both are very dangerous. And I want to encourage us to listen to Paul's words today. There is a battle waging. Are you in it? I love what uh, C.S. Lewis says here. There are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall into about the devils. One is to believe in their existence, or disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So what do I want to say today? Balance. Everybody say balance. Balance. We should be armored up. We need to be ready for this fight. We need to be aware. We need to be prepared. But we don't want to dive into a point where it's unhealthy. We're seeing devils around every corner. We're casting out demons at every place, you know. I, I, I try not to think that there are demons in technology. But quite often I want to lay hands on technology. Oh, I want to lay hands on technology. When technology doesn't work. And I've seen churches that have prayed, you know, when the, the screen goes off. Pray against the devils in the projector. Eh. I don't know if there's really devils in the projector or we're just really bad at technology. 50-50, right? So uh, you got to be careful. You don't want to underplay, you don't want to overplay it. But I don't know about you. I just didn't grow up in battle. I never got to serve our country. I grew up in a time um, really not in war. Of course, we've been in wars and all sorts of wars, but I missed Vietnam, right? And, and so therefore, I, did, I never served. And I, I can tell you this. You're, you should be thankful, especially if you were sent to battle with me, because I don't know. I don't know. I know we can have plans and stuff, but when bullets start to fly, I'm running. I just, I get panicky. I don't, only thing I had to compare it, and the old Oakwood people have heard me talk about this before, because this is my only illustration about war, is paintball with teens. Back in the 90s, we used to go play paintball. 
you know what paintball is? You know, they, they, we didn't say shoot people. We marked people, right? We would pull the, the handle and it would mark somebody with paint, right? The little paintballs and, and they hurt. You get bruises and welts. But my teens were into it. I mean, I had teens that were so into it. They would like not shower for days so they would smell like the environment, you know, and they'd paint their faces black. They own their own uh, uh, equipment, uh, you know, double trigger angel anti-gravity feed, yeah. And these were the girls in my group. I mean, they were into, my group was into it. We would go play paintball and it was quite something. And we loved it. We had a great time. But these students that owned their own equipment and they had a huge farm, they would play every weekend. And all these, these teenage guys would come together and they would plan these battles and, and they would play and practice and they had all their own stuff. And then they came to me as a youth pastor and said, PD, we want to do something special. Like, what do you want to do? They said, we want to have a special paintball game, dads against their sons. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. We'll wipe them out. And they go, no, no, you're on the old people's team. I'm like, no, I don't want to be on the guy, the old man's team. I, I want to be on the young man's team. You got your own gun with your double trigger anti-gravity feed. You can shoot it up. Like that. I don't want to be with the old guys. They're like, no, you got to play with the old guys. So we planned it, sent out the invitation, and we showed up to play. And again, my people came out in Campbell. And the mosquito net thing, the full, what's that, ghillie suit? You know, I mean, we had people with full ghillie suits come out. And then the, the, the old guys started getting out of their cars. And I looked at this one guy, and he, he goes about 350 pounds. He had a purple sweatshirt on and red sweatpants to play paintball in the woods. He, he, he looked like Barney on steroids. You know, he, I'm like, no, I don't want to be on the old guy's team. We're going to get destroyed. And so we go to play the game. We're playing capture the flag. Your team hides a flag. Their team hides a flag. You defend your flag. They defend their flag. But you've got to go get their flag. Or to do that, you've got to mark them, get them out of the game, and take their flag and bring it back. And if you bring back the other team's flag without getting marked, you win, right? I'm like, we're so dead. We set up and the guys are like, what do we do, PD? What do we? I'm like, you're supposed to go get the flag and bring it back and not get marked and all that stuff. And I said, oh, we're just so dead. I said, you guys just go. When the air horn blows, you guys take off. Good luck with that. I'm just going to stay back here. I thought, I'm going to stay on defense. I thought it was a good idea until the horn blew and all these men started running through the woods, you know. And I can't hear anything. And I'm nervous. I'm just a nervous, you know, guy. That's why you don't want me on your team in, in battle. Because I start sweating. I'm already have hyperhidrosis. I start sweating. You got to wear a mask. It fogs up. It's nothing worse than being in the woods, you know, trying not to get hit by a paintball. And you can't see. So, and you can't take your mask off. That's dangerous. You get kicked out. So you got to just stick your finger up and do a little wiper blades, you know. And so here I am, a panic, and my heart's pounding. I'm sweating. My goggles are dripping. And all I could hear after about five minutes, I just hear, it was a firefight. I mean, you could just tell that there's a mess. And then all of a sudden, silence. I'm like, they're all dead. And then I'm like, this was a bad idea. And I'm the only one. I'm all by myself. And I thought, well, if they can just hit me one time, I can yell out. Because if you get hit, you can just say out. But they won't. They're going to they're gonna shoot me lots of times. I'm the youth pastor. They're going to be multiple angles. I'm going to have 
just, I'm just going to be a big welt and I'm nervous. I'm scared. And then I could hear people running. They're running through the woods at me. And I'm like, they're coming. And I'm about ready to just scream and cry. And, and I, I mean, you could just see the, you could see the trees moving and it's all coming. It's like the scene out of a movie. And all of a sudden, here comes that Ken with the red or the purple sweatshirt and red sweatpants. He comes out of the woods holding their flag and he goes, PD, what do I do with this? And I'm like, oh, they must not have understood. They probably caught him a hundred times. And I look at him. There's not a drop of paint anywhere on Barney with steroids. There's not. I'm like, what did you do? He said, I did what you said. When the horn blew, we went over, we shot them all. We took their flag and we came back. I'm like, but they're good. And he looked at me and he smiled. He says, oh, oh, the teens are cute. But I fought in Vietnam. And I realized, oh, I'm on the old dude's team from now on. Me and the old dudes, they know how to battle. See, I don't know how to battle. And that's the fear. The fear we would have is you as believers, one, you don't realize there is a battle. So two, you're out there naked, not prepared, barefoot, naked, run around the woods. No. Three, we don't want you to be excessively uh, dwelling on this, but all these things are important when we walk through this. So what are the commands? The facts were true. There's a war. Our war is a spiritual one, not against people, but a spiritual battle. So what are the commands? Be strong. Everybody say be strong. I want you to pay close attention to the commands that we heard. Because in there, I never saw the word fight. I never saw the word attack. I never saw the word kill. But be strong. Not in your own strength. I love how Paul, right away when he wrote that, be strong. But don't get it wrong. You don't have the strength that's necessary. That's why you shouldn't be picking a fight with the devil. You don't have what it takes all on your own, just in your own power. Be strong. And then Paul says, in God's mighty power. That's the kind of power you're going to need. I need God's power. What else is the instructions, the commands. The command is to put on the full armor of God. Twice he says it. Don't just put on one thing. You know, don't just put on shoes and run around naked. No, be fully ready for battle. Full armor of God. Then he says, stand. He said, stand against the devil's schemes. Then he says, stand. Stand your ground. Then he says, stand. Stand firm. And then when you're done standing, stand. (laughs) Everybody say stand. Take your stand. And then one that's quite often confused because there's different ways you can explain this passage. I'm in the camp that believes that prayer was not an afterthought, but prayer was not really part of the armor, but prayer is the overall, it's the overall applying the power of God to this armor that we wear. It's essential. It's essential. I think these are the commands that I see in this passage that Paul, so let's break it down. I got pretty pictures to show you. Our battle is to be aware and to be prepared. And so we do have some things that Paul tells us. The first thing he tells us is, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth. Everybody say truth. There's a phrase that you might have seen in scripture. One of the translations might even have it in Ephesians here. Girding up your loins. We just don't talk like that anymore. Girding up your loins. You can imagine, number one, why Paul went to this imagery. 
I mean, he, he is speaking to people where Rome is everywhere and Roman soldiers control everything. So every day there's a visual, there's a visual for people. I like how Paul gave people a visual learning tool. He says, gee, you just look at the Roman soldier and you can see the armor that we're going to need spiritually, not physically, but spiritually. And we need to start with this belt. The reason why he starts with the belt, because I mean, you look at that and it's got the leather things coming off and you might be thinking it's a fashion. It's not a fashion statement and it's not to hold up your knickers. It had nothing to do with that. The belt for a Roman soldiers was the foundational piece. Everything attached to the belt. Everything was girded up. The girding up your loins meant uh, sometimes you had the long robe, and if you're going to go into the trenches, you're going to go out there and be running and stuff. You, you got to bring it up, tie it up, tuck it in that belt so you're not tripping all over yourself. But what is this belt? This belt is truth. John 17, 17, the Bible says, your word, your word is truth. Where do we go for truth? It's interesting that Paul starts with this one word, truth. And I think it's so important, even today, more than it was back in his day, the lack of truth in this world. People lie. (laughs) And people will just claim something that has no basis in fact or reality. And it's their reality, right? I reject your reality and I replace it with my own, right? I mean, we live in a world where there's no absolute truth. You know the difference between truth, anybody's truth, and absolute truth. Absolute truth is what we have in this word of God. God's word is absolute truth. What does that mean? It's true for all people at all times and all locations. It's not changing. Absolute truth. Paul starts that this is your foundation, people. This is the belt that's going to secure all of the armor. Truth. Everybody say truth. We need it. This world desperately needs truth. Where do you go for truth? Go to God's word. Are you reading God's word, believer? So as we get into this armor, again, it's just an analogy for you to think about. I'm sure Paul said it because every day they would be walking the streets and they would see a Roman soldier and hopefully they would click in their mind and they'd think, man, am I ready? Am I ready today? Like this soldier got up and he's ready, he prepared He's fully armored. Am I ready? We got to start with, do we have the truth? The Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth. Truth only comes through God's word. And I would add God's preaching. You need to come to church. You need to be fed. You need to hear God's word be proclaimed and you need to read it on your own. Don't come for your little inoculation on Sunday to get you through the week. You better come on Sunday and then get in the word all week long. We need truth. Amen. Start with the foundation of truth. Then Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. I I showed you two different kinds there. Let me go back. Did I? Yeah, you can see the, the belt. I put two different versions on here, the belt that they would wear, and then this is how it would be underneath. The breastplate attaches to it. The sword would be fastened to it. Everything's cinched down tight. And then the breast or the breastplate covers vital things. I mean, I want this. I mean, it's covering my heart. That's a big one. I want that heart to keep pumping, right? I want to guard those senses. Isn't that interesting that the Bible tells us above all else, guard your heart. How do I do that? Number one, I got to be cinched up with the truth and then I need a breastplate of righteousness. What is this righteousness? Well, righteousness comes by faith. Everybody say faith, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Truth, everybody say truth. 
I'm going to connect all the dots today. Hopefully you'll see them coming together. Truth is essential. And the next thing, the breastplate of righteousness. How are we claimed to be righteous? It's through faith. It's by grace you're saved through faith. And then God declares you righteous and pure. The truth needs to be told. People need to come by faith. And if you come by faith, you're declared righteous. What a beautiful thing. As I was rereading this last night, I started singing. And songs just kind of flow. I got a song in my heart. I was sitting at the table and I was trying to remember the words, verse, verse 2 of the song, It Is Well. Though Satan should buffet, though trials shall come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. You know the song. I love how the author of the song put the lyrics that it's Christ who made the sacrifice and it's applied through faith. Do you have that breastplate of righteousness? It's not your own righteousness. It's his righteousness. And by the way, I don't have time to do it and didn't want to go that deep, but all of these armor pieces are found in Isaiah and they're all talking about the coming of Jesus. They were used as indicators of Jesus. All of this armor is not you. It's really putting on who God is. God is truth. God is righteousness. And so God offers you the protection of putting on his truth Girding it up tight and then applying this breastplate of protection, the righteousness of Christ given to you. I hope you've trusted him by faith. And then there's the spiritual footwear. There's the air Jesuses I talk about all the time, right? These are the originals, man. I love these leather. And, and you need to know that the Romans really, uh, they kind of invented something kind of neat. It was called the, I'm not good at Italian, Caligie, Caligie. It's something. And really what it was, these shoes had heavy soles with hobnails sticking out of them. Yes. If you play baseball or football, you can th- or soccer, uh, you can thank the Romans for inventing the cleats, right? Or golfers. That's probably a better analogy for old guy. You know, when I go golfing, I wear shoes that have some grip to them so my feet don't slide out, Right? You gotta be firmly planted. In football, when you take your stand, you, you gotta hold your ground firm as you gotta dig in, right? Have you ever seen them play on a wet field? And, and I've heard the announcers say, oh, at halftime, they're gonna have to change into some high, you know, deeper cleats. More, more, more nails sticking out, right? Rome invented this. They had these thick soles with these nails that they would drive through and they would have grip. They would be able to traverse terrain like nobody. And that's why they were very powerful. Right? They say, like, if you drive a car, the only thing touching the road are your tires. If you're in a battle, the only thing touching the, really the ground is your feet. And so what does the Bible say? Have your feet shod or prepared with the, the gospel of peace. What is our foundation? What is our strength in the gospel of peace? You want a solid grip to stand firm? Then you need gospel shoes. Remind yourself of the gospel every day. I hope at Oakwood you never get tired of hearing the wonderful news that Jesus Christ is God's son. He's sent here on a mission. He lived a sinless life. 
He went to the cross and paid for sin, not his own, because he was sinless. He paid for your sin and my sin. He died on that cross. His blood was shed. And then he rose again. God raised him from the dead three days later. The beautiful gospel is if you put your faith and trust in that, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9, if you believe, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. Friends, that's the gospel. Preach it to yourself every day and get those cleats on so you can stand firm. Number one, Satan's a liar. We don't, we're, not, we're, not, we're not prepping up to go fight people in this world. It's a spiritual battle. And one of the things Satan does is he comes and one of the biggest weapons he has is just doubt. You're not saved. You're not God's child. You did it wrong. Or you're doing it wrong. <laughs> no, no, put on your gospel shoes. Has there been a time in your life when you've asked God to forgive your sin, come into your life as Savior and Lord, then you are saved. Tell the devil he's a liar. Tell the devil he's not telling the truth. Tell him you are a child of God. I have gospel shoes on. I know the truth. That's how it's beautifully connected, these first three pieces, with truth, faith, the gospel. Did you hear it? Did you see what Paul did there? The truth, the belt. The righteousness, the breastplate. And the shoes, the gospel of peace. But the beautiful thing is we're told here in this passage, we got armor, but the gospel is the gospel of peace. Remember, remember what happened in heaven when God sent his son, Jesus? We're going to have a manger scene over here next week, or no, maybe two weeks from now. It's coming. We're going to have a manger. I love that. When God sent his son to this earth, can you imagine what the angels were thinking? I just, that blows my mind. What were they thinking? Man. And then we hear the words, peace on earth, goodwill to men. God sent Jesus to bring peace between man and God. Not for us to put on our fighting shoes and go out and attack the people, the very people he sent his son to die for. That's not what the, the armor's for. We have on these gospel shoes and then shields up. And Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Are you, are you having your shield of faith? And this shield, by the way, I had to get a better picture because this is not the shield that the Romans would have used in battle or war. Uh, this is it. Two and a half foot by four foot. And by the way, the average height of a male at the time was just over five feet. So you're talking about you know, carrying a refrigerator in front of you. Take a refrigerator door off and go into battle. Why? I mean, that's what I would want. Man, when I was playing paintball, I, I want that big shield, man. I want to hide behind something that I can duck, you know, and I can, I can avoid getting attacked. And, and Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Why? Because there's fiery darts. Tr troubles come. Projectiles are launched from a distance. It's not just hand-to-hand -hand combat we're talking about. We're, we're, we're defending from launches that come from afar. And these little darts, by the way, don't think the darts. Remember the darts we used to, you know, we actually used to play darts. Remember that our parents hated us when we were kids and there was no safety? We actually had darts. I remember that. I, we, we played darts in my basement all the time. And we had little holes in the ceiling because we'd throw too high. It would hit. My dad would be like, ah! And sometimes we'd throw a dart and it wouldn't stick. And it would wobble and fall down. I remember my dog, Sherry, walked by and got a dart right in her back. Great, great fun we had as children, right? We're not talking these little darts. These were more like spears. 
dipped in a flammable liquid and lit on fire and launched from far distances. And that's how the Bible says that Satan attacks you. Fiery darts launched from afar. Do you see it coming? You're not going to be ready if you don't know there's a battle going on. If you're running around the woods with bare feet and naked and you got no shield, fiery darts are going to hurt. Fiery darts are going to get to flesh. God says there's protection for you, believer. He's going to keep launching, but you have armor and a shield of faith. Are you applying faith to your life? This wonderful thing that God has given us. What are these darts that Satan launched? A lot of them are temptations. Are you, are you battling your temptations? Remember I taught you a couple of weeks ago. There's a difference between battling with sin and just living in sin. As a believer, if you're just practicing sin, then you're not in the war. You're not in the battle. You've lost the battle. The Bible says Satan's launching these fiery darts and, and you've got armor. You're to be protected. You're, and boy, when those, when those soldiers come together and they would put their armor in one, it's a wall. Now we've got a wall of defense when we're together. By the way, this passage both needs to be interpreted as collection and individual. As a church, we need to be armored up. Individually, but then as a church, oh, there's strength when the shields come up. You know, sometimes somebody gets wounded. And they can't lift their, sh- we can, we can surround people with the shield of faith. Amen. We come around people. And when their faith is failing, we can say, you're not alone. We're with you. We can, we can provide cover. But you, you believer, in order to be part of the body that's in battle, you need to be armored up. If your friend is, getting pummeled and temptations winning and the fiery darts have ignited his whole world on fire. What do we do? Well, you're not going to be much help if you're barefoot and naked. Be armored up. One of the best things you could do is to be strong and to be able to stand. Why? Because then you can help your brother. You can help your brother or sister. So we have this beautiful shield and then here's the, con- no, not yet, next one's the controversial. And the helmet's great. Man, we need helmets, right? I hated those goggles for paintball with the plexiglass. But man, if I'm going out into battle, I definitely want some metal on my head. Because the melon's pretty important, amen? And I don't know if it's true or not. I, I need to have a conversation with our 55 and adult males. Somebody needs to help me. Or maybe their wives. Maybe some wives can come help me out with this. Why is it now that I'm double nickels and uh, I keep hitting my head all the time? Is that, what, is that something that happens? Do we lose our sense of where we're at because I hit my head almost every day? I do. I currently have three goose eggs. I got one at home the other day. I, I, I was putting Christmas lights up and I got underneath one of my trees and I stood up. And I'd cut off a branch that was sticking straight down. It was like the size of my thumb and it was about that size sticking straight down. And I put that thing right through my noggin. Oh, 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 I hop around and I, I keep looking and it's bleeding. Oh, it hurts so bad. And I came to church the next day and I told Melissa and then I went backstage. I was trying to clean some stuff and I dropped, remember that old plastic uh, hot tub thing we had for baptisms? It was a Lego kit that we built for baptisms and they're big pieces. And I pulled one down and it, came, it hit me right on the head. Thankfully, not right on the same spot. You know, I, I basically look like Satan with two horns, right? You know, ah, 
I, I had this huge goosebump on my head. Oh, and so I don't want to go into battle. If there's going to be things launched at me, if there's going to be hand to hand, I mean, I want something over my melon to protect it. And what is the protection? It's our salvation. We take on the helmet of salvation. There's sensitive stuff in here, right? We don't want to, the heart would be a death blow, but your melon would be a death blow too. So we got to protect our head, protect our heart. Does that sound like, can you make the analogy? Protect your head, protect your heart. Spiritually, guard your heart. Mentally, be careful. Temptations can take root in there. It starts with the mind. How do you get somebody's life? Whoever gets the mind gets the life. If you give your heart and mind fully to God, he's got your life. But if you don't, where's your protection? So this helmet comes in. It protects us from the death blows. It reminded me of Romans 8, 38 and 39. It says, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor present, or things to come, or powers, nor height, nor death, or anything else in all of creation. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Why do we know that? Because salvation. With your salvation, you've got this helmet that assures you that you're a child of God, and it protects you. Keep that. And then we come to the sword. And this is everybody's favorite. I, I love when little kids come into my office, because the first thing they notice, they, they say, woo. You've got a sword. Above my desk, I've got this big sword. It's the William Wallace sword. It's huge. It's awesome. It's not sharp because it hangs above my desk and I hung it there. So if it ever falls off, I don't want it to behead me. So it's not sharp at all, but it looks really cool. We like swords. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a guy thing. Maybe it's a young guy thing. I don't know. Not ladies, I just, I've never been one of you, so I don't know. I'm sure ladies can think swords are cool if they want to, and they can like playing with swords, but I know as a young guy, swords are really cool. I remember going to Tennessee, one of the first times we went to Tennessee, and they have this thing called Knife World. Anybody ever been to Knife World in Gatlinburg? Oh, please go and buy me a sword. Uh, they, they have all sorts, from little knives to big knives to swords. It's a wonderful place. It's the size of Cabela's, but it's just sharp things. It's awesome. And we like swords, and people get to this passage like, ah, yes, now we've got it. Okay, I'll put on my, my cool Jesus Nikes, and I'll uh, put on my you know, thing, but I want a sword because I want to fight. Interestingly enough, I know there's, you can have a difference of opinion on this. There's room for that. But I see the sword in Paul's context as a defensive weapon, fighting off blows. Not necessarily used to go and get an attack, although it can be used for that. But a soldier's sword was vital. The Roman soldiers, what was their sword called? I think I wrote it down. It's a special name. The Gladius, yes, thank you. The Gladius. Boy, a Roman soldier lived by his sword. I have heard that they ate using their sword. They use it not only to cut food, but to eat with it. It was everything. A Roman soldier and his sword. By the way, there's an analogy there too about how do you keep it sharp, right? Iron sharpeneth iron, right? And you need others in your life, but keep that sword sharp, keep it ready to go. There's a lot of analogies heading on this, but I think it's to defend ourselves against error, against attacks. Why? Why? Because the Bible says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, What did Satan do? 
Or what did Jesus do when Satan tempted him? Remember, Satan launched some fiery darts at Jesus. We can learn from that, that scenario. Remember Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness, no food, no water. He was praying. Satan came to attack him, right? Satan came to get him 40 days of fasting and in the wilderness all by himself. I'm sure Satan was thinking, let's attack now. He's at his weakest. What he didn't know is 40 days alone with God in prayer. They got him at his strongest. He was ready. How was Jesus ready? Did he, did he see Satan coming and go out and attack him with his sword? No. He stood his ground. Satan launched temptations. And what did Jesus do? He quoted scripture. How did Jesus fight Satan? He quoted scripture. He wielded the sword of truth, the word of God. He quoted God's word. Interestingly enough, Satan started quoting scripture too. The enemy can use scripture and twist it. And Jesus had to come back and say, no, no, don't twist God's truth. But he wielded a sword, not to attack, but to defend. We as believers need that sword and be able to wield that sword in a proper way. And then there's prayer, part of the armor, the power of prayer. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the spirit. Prayer is the best way to go into battle. It's the power try to remind people all the time, I mean, we just don't have much power on our own. We're pretty fragile when you think about it. Our melons get hit and hurts, you know. Um, you ever get something, hurt your foot, and you limp in and it hurts, you know. Women, I don't know how you do that. I looked at the back of my wife's heel the other day, and she's got this big old scab. I'm like, what's that? She goes, I had to wear those shoes at that funeral. I'm like, you did that? I'm like, how do you put up with that? You just bear through it. I guess they have babies. They can handle sores on their heels. But I, I, I'm amazed by that. I mean, men, seriously, we'd be barefoot. We would like, I'm not doing that. Man, prayer is our power to battle through. I remember hearing Michael W. Smith sing this song. And it, the first time I heard it, I literally was like, come on, Michael. There's like six words in the whole song. And he just repeats them over and over again. The first time I heard it, I was like, give me a break. I mean, come on, are you running out of material? And I was really sarcastic. And then I realized he was really very on point when he sang the song. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battle. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Hey, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. After hearing it a couple of times and not liking the song, it became one of my favorite songs because of what it means. We're in a battle, and it looks like we're surrounded, but with prayer, we're surrounded by God. God never keeps us out of battles. You need to know that as a Christian. God never keeps us out of hardship. He promises to go with us through the hardship. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. <laughs> so he gives us prayer as the power for this whole, this whole thing. So what do we boil this down to? That's the context of this passage. By the way, you look at all this armor and you hear the word stand. And this is the only thing I remember about the sermon I preached when I was 15. I remember looking at all this armor and thinking about it. And uh, the, the, the pastor wasn't so sure I should say it. So I learned at 15 to go ahead and say stuff you're not supposed to say. Because people remember it. 
I told him, I was like, you know what? When I see all this armor, I picture this, this soldier ready to go, fully armored. But the armor is not covering one part. <laughs> you got no armor for your rear end, guys. There's no spiritual armor here that protects you. So don't run. When you turn and run away, when you just turn or you're not battling and you're not standing your ground, number one, your rear is exposed. Your Achilles is exposed. You do not give the enemy your back. <laughs> right? We flee from sin. Amen. Oh, man, I remember Joseph and he had the, remember, she got a hold of his coat and he just whipped off his coat and left and he ran. You got to run from temptation. But when it's time for battle, you do not take Satan head on thinking that you're going to overcome him on your own. We stand our ground. You've got a sword to defend some blows. You've got a shield in case there's launched from afar. You're ready to go, but do not expose the rear. So what do we do with all this? We stand firm. <laughs> That's the call. Paul said, stand then. Stand firm. Hold your ground, believer. I know that you hear a lot of things out there. Oh, you gotta be as frustrated as I am. I get angry when I hear what this world does and says. And I'd like to go fight everything that's wrong because I hear non-truth. It bothers me when I hear non-truth. Then I have to calm down, take a breath and say, you know what? I don't think God sent me into this world to, to, to stop everything and, and, and go fight everyone. But I need to know that standing true and standing firm, holding to the word is my position where I need to be protecting me with, with what God has given me, the full armor of God, ready to go so that I can withstand those attacks, that's where I need to be. So that's your challenge to consider. Stand firm. The Christian life is not a vow to never lose a battle, but it is a commitment to always be aware of the spiritual war and to be prepared to stand your ground. You're gonna, you're gonna take some losses. You're gonna take some hits every once in a while. Stand again, just get back up, stand. Rely on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't be out there alone. Uh, getting back into youth ministry has been fun for me, but you know, I always gotta be thinking, you know, we, we have a rule that we don't, we don't let kids just wander. You know, if we go someplace, stay in groups of three. That's kind of our rule. It used to be two, and then we're like, nah, it better be three, right? Girls are okay, they go to the bathroom in clumps anyway, so, but... Go with groups. Why do you go with groups? Man, there's power in that. Remember when my friend Cliff struggled spiritually? He was my, kind of the, the, the Christian that brought me to surrendering my life for ministry. I love what Cliff was doing and how he was serving God, but then he fell. He fell hard. And I was at a point in my life where I'd grown and, and I went after my friend who was down and weak and beat he was battered. I felt like he was left out there defenseless. And so as brother in arms, I went and got him. I remember the year I took him to Chicago for Thanksgiving, this time of year, and he had been so far from the Lord after being so vital in ministry, and it broke my heart, and so I made him go. I said, Cliff, you don't have any plans. You're coming. You, you want my mom's cooking. Get in the car. Let's go. So we drove from Michigan to Illinois, usually about three and a half hours from Grand Rapids, but it was a five-hour trip because of snow. And the whole way there, I just cried and prayed and talked to my friend saying, what happened, man? What happened? 
we went through the whole weekend and then we drove back from Chicago to Michigan. It's somewhere in Indiana. There's a place, there's a holy place on the side of the freeway where my friend said, stop the car, pull over. And we got out of the car and knelt down on the ground. My buddy got his armor back and he's in the fight today. He's a pastor in Florida. And we need each other. When I showed up to that college, I was an alcoholic and living a double life, not meaning anything spiritually by going to a Christian school, just trying to appease the parents. I came in as a weak believer. I was saved, but I was a mess. I had no armor on. I wasn't in the fight. It was Cliff. It was Cliff that really helped me. I needed him. Later, he needed me, and we need each other. So your, your first thing is, don't think of this as selfish. That's always the problem. My armor, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, no. Armor up for your friends. Armor up for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Armor up for the people to your left and to your right. Be prepared so that you can be in the fight, but you can also lift up your brothers and sisters. That's what I believe this passage is teaching us. It's a call to a new way of living. Take charge. I must put on the full armor of God every day. Take charge. Armor up. Some people like to get up every morning and pray the armor on. That might be something you want to do as just a metaphor. You can pray through the armor. And you get out of bed. Lord, I need truth today to be my foundation in everything I do. And I need that shield of faith. Man, I need that when Satan starts launch. I need a breastplate on. I don't want my vitals exposed. Give me that helmet of salvation, Lord. Put it on my head. I need my feet shod with the spikes of the gospel to give me solid ground to stand on. Pray the armor on and and get fully armored. I I ride Harley. People at Oakwood know this story as well, but I never ride without all my gear. I, I, I mean, those guys that, that go helmetless, they fought the helmet law, and I get it, personal freedoms and all, but I think they're just stupid. I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, you know what they call motorcyclists in, in ERs, right? Organ donors, that's what they call us. Because it's not very safe. Somebody asked me if I've ever hit a deer on my motorcycle, I'm like, I'm still here, right? If I'd hit a deer on my motorcycle, I would lose. <laughs> because we're soft. I mean, I am at least, I'm soft. And, and, and it wouldn't take much to break my melon, pierce my heart. I was driving down Oakwood Road, leaving church. We were, it was March, it was early uh, spring, and we were doing that sale thing. We, remember, we were gonna do this small little garage sale and it turned into this ferocious, terrible thing where they filled the whole church and the thing with all this stuff. And so I, I was exhausted. I'd been here early and I thought, I'm just gonna go home for lunch in the middle of the day. And I jumped on my Harley and I'm driving from here down Oakwood Road. And then you get to those two little S curves. There's little S curves. No big deal. I've driven those lots of time. You just lean into your turn. You got to lean in. I didn't realize that there was a high wind warning that day and there were 60 mile an hour winds. I didn't hear it. And I didn't even worry about it. It's a big bike. I've got a huge Harley and I'm a, you know, I'm not a little guy myself. And so what's a little wind, right? And so I'm in the, I'm in my first turn and the 60 mile an hour winds come straight up Oakwood Road. And all it did is when it hit me, it just stood me up straight. Well, that's a problem because if you're leaning into your turn and you get up straight, now you're not turning anymore. And so 
then I had to really lean into my turn again. No big deal. But I was right at the road that goes off a dirt road. It goes off Oakwood right there. And being just pushed a little bit to the right, when I went into my lean, I was in sand and rock and gravel because they come off the dirt road and they'd kicked all the sand on the road. And all I know is I'm in my turn, I'm in my lean, and all of a sudden the bike's gone. It just went away. And I went straight down onto the pavement, face first. I bounced off the pavement. I know that because the only thing that happened was I had a cut right here where my goggles went into my head. And I remember sliding. And I'm like, I just crashed my bike. You know how everything goes in slow motion. I'm having all these thoughts. And then I hear my bike crashing into the trees. Things were breaking. I'm like, not my bike. And then I'm like, how long am I going to slide? I'm like, I'm sliding forever. I feel like I should stop by now. And I, I even looked up and I saw the guardrail coming, the metal guardrail. And I'm moving still. And I'm like, uh-oh, I'm going to hit that. <laughs> and I remember just ducking my head and thinking, this is going to hurt. And I came to a stop. And I didn't hit anything. I thought I might be alive. And I popped up. And I was on the other side of the guardrail. I'd slid completely underneath the guardrail and didn't hit any of the, the nothing, not a mark on me. The lady that was behind me, she stopped her car. She ran up and she's, she's white as a ghost. I remember when I popped up, she was about getting to that point and she, she was white as a ghost and she looked at me and she said, I saw you die. And I said, I don't think so. I think I'm still alive. And she goes, I think you're alive too. And she goes, can I hug you? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> So she hugged me and left. I'm like, okay, okay. Man. And I looked, later on I looked, and you know, no, you know, no road rash. I'd slid for like 30 feet. No road rash, because I had on my jeans. No, nothing on my feet hurt, because I had on my boots with my metal, and they were all scraped. They were all scraped. Can you imagine if I'd wear my flip-flops, huh? My sandals, that would have been bad. Imagine if I'd wear shorts. Imagine if all I had was a t-shirt. No, I had on my full Harley leather. By the way, it took the ground and it's, it's better today than ever before. It's not even scratched. It's beautiful. The goggles didn't even break. They just pushed into my head and got a little cut. That's all I got. I'm sure I slammed my head down, but that helmet protected me. I walked away from that accident. You know why? I was fully armored. Friends, life happens. You're all in this battle, whether you know it or not. We're in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's not us against them, but we are in this battle. We're in this battle not only for ourselves, but we're in a battle for our brothers and sisters. How do we be prepared, be aware and prepared? Put on the armor of God, the full armor of God, so that you can stand. Team, go ahead and come up and close us out. I'm going to sing a good song. I'm going to finish up my notes. Those of you who like taking Take charge, number one. Take courage, number two. God has protection from that barrage of fiery darts. And then take comfort. God has equipped me to stand firm in this evil day. Friends, as you leave today, this is our call to a new way of living. Take charge, take courage, take comfort. Stand. Everybody say stand. And then stand. Like literally, go ahead and stand. Let's stand. And let's be prepared to sing a little bit. Give Rusty time to get over there. How about I do the closing prayer now and then we're done with the song. I won't need to do that. Father God, we thank you for today. A chance to get in Ephesians. And Father, we read the whole book, even the closing with Titius and all the reminders and thankfulness. But in this passage we were taught today, it's to stand. God, help us to be aware. 
Help us to be prepared. Help us to stand our ground in this battle we face, not just for ourselves, but so that we can stand with our brothers and sisters. And God, we do pray for victory. We pray for victory in Jesus' name. Amen.